Welcome to The Hope Project. On this podcast, we talk about matters of sex, sexuality, relationships, shame, and so much more. The goal of this podcast is always to bring hope to your sexuality and freedom from any unhealthy views you may have been taught growing up. And if you've enjoyed what this project is aspiring to do, then there are a couple ways you can support us. First, you can leave a review on the channel. This helps us stay relevant to the audiences we are trying to reach. Second, you can go to our Patreon and see how to support us financially. We are so grateful to all the people who have supported us and continue to support us on this project. This episode is a part of Season 2. If you haven't had a chance to listen to the trailer for Season 2, I recommend you do that now before listening to this episode. On today's episode, we have Ro and Jim joining us again. If you haven't yet listened to their episode with us in Season 1, I recommend you do that now. We are going to be building off a lot of their ideas from that episode and expounding upon so much more. On today's episode, we are talking about our families of origin. This is only part one of a two-part conversation on this topic, and I am so excited as they have so much wisdom to share with us. Let's dive in. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. I am so grateful to have Ro and Jim join us again today to continue our conversation a little bit from season one. Um, to give a brief overview again of the last podcast, we heard their story. Um, they got to show us the reality of the porn industry that they work with closely um, in terms of helping people come out of it. They don't work <laughs> in the porn industry. Um, and we talked a little bit how we marry at the same level of brokenness and how that actually impacts um, our lives right now. But today we wanted to focus a little bit more on kind of family of origin in sexual brokenness um, and how that relates to us, how that relates to deprivation, disassociating, unconscious arousal, futility, whatever it is, um, <clears throat> how it's kind of all connected. So guys, thanks again for being here. Um, and let's kind of just, let's just dive in because we've already been talking <laughs> for like 30 minutes before we even started recording. So we're already in the thick of it. Um, so either one of you, um, you can start. How do you guys how would you explain how does family of origin kind of play into our sexual brokenness and relating to others? They're both pointing at each other right now for the other to go first. <laughs> you know, um, we just spoke about it this weekend uh, to a group, and so it's kind of on our brains right now. But um, I, I don't think you – I mean, your story is set in motion in your young a young childhood and mm-hmm. um it continues to play out here we are in our 60s my story that story that i had that was formed that was put together in my childhood continues to play out i still have to deal with the ramifications of how i was loved how i saw myself uh what i was set up for uh you, and to think that you 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 can get to the place where you're not dealing with that uh it's it's pretty tough to i mean you, you, i think you'd have to just be in denial if mm-hmm. uh, if you don't think it's mm-hmm. coming up on yeah. a regular basis um yeah really how do you guys think that feeds because we talked about <clears throat> pornography a lot last time so how do you guys think that feeds into a man's struggle with pornography and addiction with pornography or kind of relating to those things yeah or any kind of um addiction any kind of way of comforting ourselves and i would say porn is a way to comfort uh that has come from not experiencing a mom and a dad or a caregiver that has seen you and cared for those deep needs and that's where the way we were created we were created to be connected to 
our family, and we know this is true when in other countries they experimented, unfortunately, where babies were not touched or held, and those babies would die. They wouldn't thrive, and mm-hmm. a lot of other exercises that were done with children back in the 20s and 30s. And So I know that your family is important in, in, in shaping how you're going to connect to another person. Mm-hmm. And, and whether you feel safe. Yeah. I feel like for most of my friends and even my kind of adult <clears throat> life at this point, for a long time I just thought this is just how I am. Like this is – I just am this type of person or I just am this person. But studying family of origin has been super helpful in learning like, okay, I learned this from my parents. <laughs> I was given this from my parents. Yeah. <clears throat> and not even just my parents, like my older brother my older sister, how they related to me, what they showed me about the world, how they showed me how to relate to others. Um, Even thinking of my family, like not that my brother or my sister or my parents are the reason I got addicted to pornography, but man, they created the void um, that opened it up kind of to me experience that. So let's dive into maybe some specifics of family of origin. How do you guys think comfort and connection kind of in the life of a child in the life of a teenager, how does that play into how we interact now as adults? I think it's important that you recognize your own story, that you can answer that from your own story. So um, I grew up in a family where I had a mentally ill mother, and she was extremely depressed. She had her own abuse that was done to her as a child, and so she could not take care of us. There were four of us. She, She allowed us to take care of ourselves. So there was no connecting, and there was no comfort, and... I remember myself being a tender child, but I became hard. And I discovered that Mm -hmm. the places where I could connect was using my sexuality with boys. And I can look back and see that that was definitely um, shaped by the lack of care from family and also the community I lived in. So I think that if you can't name it, you can't address it. And it's important that we have, sometimes we have people come alongside of us to help us recognize, oh my gosh, you had a mentally ill mother. Mm -hmm. That has shaped who you are today. And as we said in our last podcast, we say this over and over where I work at a a seminary that we look back to understand, not to judge. Mm Mm-hmm. Which I feel like most people look back in someone's past to judge. So, for instance, I was with uh, a student. I'm not going to say what arena it is because I don't want to expose any of my friends. Um, but she has a very sexually active story. Um, she's now married, and so she's with her husband. And so they've been working to kind of redeem certain aspects of that. But if you would have looked at her in high school or in college, you would have viewed her as, you know, not to use really harsh words, but kind of like a, a slut. Um but no, no one looked into her story to realize maybe why she either had her sexuality taken advantage of mm-hmm. in the college years or mm-hmm. why she used it to gain love. <clears throat> and so that's so huge because no one wants to look into the past as a way of understanding because it's, it's either too scary, too damaging, or if I acknowledge things about my past, that means that I am inherently worse. Rather than looking at you, were talking about where it's more of a compassion mm-hmm. kind of stance of like, hey, you are not just a random result of life and experience. You were kind of 
forced or made to be the way you are. And that specifically mm-hmm. relates to sexuality. Mm-hmm. What about for you, Jim, in, in your story, how did family of origin in terms of comfort and connection play into <clears throat> where you are now? Yeah, so um, I'm the oldest of four kids and uh, siblings. And, and, um, and my dad was really very narcissistic. And so um, it was really, he was the, it, the focus was primarily on him and the family. And so, and, and what we valued, um, we actually valued, as I recall, uh, two things really. We almost worshiped two things uh, work and food. Uh, <laughs> you know, f- we, we ate really well and my my dad loved food and he loved cooking. you guys have like a dish of choice yeah, like yeah, a everything food, <laughs> anything, anything food but but you know just didn't food. matter what it was didn't matter what it was we were just you know food was was we worshiped food and and then we also my dad honored work really highly and so i i did connect with my dad through work but that was it uh we didn't have those conversations about you know i can't remember having those conversations about what are you feeling? What's, what do you want to do? Actually, the conversations I do remember having about maybe what my my passions were and things like that, they didn't fit his plan or his model for what he thought was a good choice of mm-hmm. what I should do with my career and all that. So, um, you know, I, 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 th- I think uh, the sexual abuse that I, that I experienced as a 10-year-old is what opened the door to the porn uh, mm-hmm. addiction for me because mm-hmm. I you know it, it brought relief uh, it brought um, uh, it was a diversion it was a, it was mm-hmm. it was something I could go to and, and escape into uh, mm-hmm. which you know I couldn't really go anywhere else um, to do that so yeah. it really sh- you know showed itself uh, effective in that regard yeah for most they I think look at kind of okay, someone who was sexually abused, I can see how that relates to promiscuity. And so, yeah. Jim, your story, I think, would make sense to most people. Of Like, okay, like we see how that kind of trajectory led. Yeah. Um, but what would you guys say to the person who's like, I had good parents. <laughs> like, I wasn't, I wasn't really taught terrible things. I wasn't abused yeah. um, in any uh, arena. So yeah. how, does, how does my past actually affect how I'm relating to people? How does that even happen? Because I wasn't like, I had good parents, you know? So why, why would that affect how I'm interacting with people now? Hmm. Well, it, it doesn't have to be just being introduced to porn or being sexually molested. It could be, excuse me, <clears throat> how you connected with your parents, how you were... Mm-hmm. seen and heard by your parents and you can have really great parents and they don't see you as an individual child or your your uniqueness your personality um, sometimes strong fathers want a young man that's going to be uh, a football player and they they have a young man that is as an artist <laughs> who loves that yeah. playing the drums or um, I'm actually describing my husband who is um, he he is an artist, and his father wanted him to be uh, something different. Mm-hmm. And so, you're not being recognized for how you have been created, and mm-hmm. that can push us into finding ways to feel to fill the void, the pain that it, there's pain there when we're not seen as mm-hmm. who God has created us to be. That is so true. I think of my story. So. In my story, and I've talked about this with my parents, so I feel comfortable <laughs> sharing this right now. I've had kind of had a little bit of my own family of origin conversations with my parents. 
And so growing up, um, basketball was a big part of our experience. Mm-hmm. But my dad, he didn't play basketball like in high school or anything. So he wasn't like the typical athlete father, like pushing sports on him. If you didn't fit that, then you weren't good enough. But how he interacted with my older brother, who was like a basketball star, like showed me inherent, like, okay, this is what you do to gain love. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't intend it that way because he wasn't, again, he's not athletic at all. <laughs> so he wasn't even trying to vicariously live through his sons. But he just really valued. He thought it was cool how good his son was at sports. And so for me as a younger brother, being more maybe naturally athletic, more naturally coordinated, I got praise there so much and praise in a way that was like, wow, you are so much more gifted than your older brother. Just think of how much like talent you could have when you're in high school. But the problem was is that I didn't really like basketball that much. I've grown to now as an adult but i like liked hanging out with my friends playing video games telling jokes uh jumping on trampolines um so i liked basketball but it was always like hey if you mess this up your god-given talent your god-given gifts both your brother's gonna be disappointed in you because he wasn't given those kind of capacities your father's gonna be disappointed in you and so what i had to do then was i had to shut off certain avenues of myself and seek this one way as gaining love but the problem was it never actually got me what I was going for. Um, and so I always felt like my father loved my brother more. He valued him more because he was the one that would go out at 2 a.m. and sh- shoot 100 basketball shots or 1,000 shots. And I'd be up to 2 a.m. playing <laughs> video games with my friends, eating pizza or something. And so that created in me like, okay, I'm not being fulfilled intimately. Like my, my dad loves me, but he doesn't know me. He doesn't know my deepest desires. I'm in the same with my mother and for different reasons we can get into later. So that's what pushed me to pornography because although it's messed up, although it's subverse, and I didn't really even get into pornography until later in my teenage years, but I would love like love scenes like Titanic, mm. The Notebook, because there was an intimacy there that I couldn't fully explain in my young brain, mm. but mm-hmm. it's something that I desperately wanted. Mm-hmm. And so to watch that, I could kind of partake in it mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I wasn't getting that from my father or my yeah. brother or my mother. Yeah. And so... That's kind of why I think yeah. it's so important to talk about my parents are great parents. Yeah. They're generous, sacrificial, mm-hmm. and even talking with them about family of origin, they have been incredible. Mm-hmm. Like, they have acknowledged their faults. They have, like, cried and embraced the reality that they yeah. didn't parent me perfectly. And so it's been really cool now. But I know so many friends and people that are, like, have just parents just like mine, yeah. um, but have no idea the connection yeah. between how they were raised and why they're now struggling. Yeah. Well, we all have identities that are important to us as a family. Yeah. So we might, it might be we we want to look at like we're a good, uh, generous, um, hardworking family, and the identity is that you've got to work. Hard work is more important than um, working through something that might be difficult for you, mm-hmm. or. Um, I mean, every family has it, and and we have false identities that drive what we do. Mm-hmm. So, and those are created by our own family. So our parents, like my dad, it was a hard worker too. That he valued work over anything else, and um, he has his story with that. And so it's we have to look back and and value our families, but also understand that they got the way they are from their own, yeah, the way they were. Yep. Nurtured or not nurtured. Well, I look at I look at my grandfather and then his dad. So my great grandfather was, a, in no other words, a scumbag, like just really a scumbag. And so my grandfather is a miracle 
and how loving and gracious he is now. Um, but still, it's very rough <laughs> on the edges. And so then my father, who's one of the sweetest men I've ever met, but still obviously has some emotional unavailability because he was raised by his father, who was raised by a scumbag. Mm-hmm. Like, it gives us so much more compassion. Like, when you do finally accept your family of origin and realize, my dad has a family of origin. Mm-hmm. My grandfather has a family of origin. This mm-hmm. just goes up the line where it's actually a miracle that I am where I am today, and that's largely due to the good qualities that they have yeah. passed on as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, it's yeah. it's it's a subtle thing. I mean, we we um, we want to think that our families are really good, and and we can I you know I can think back of all the good things about my family, and and we have those memories and those feelings and those convictions about how good our family is, <clears throat> respectable and whatever, but the fact that my family wouldn't talk about the the bad stuff, the hard stuff, the stuff that we were all trying to push down and not talk about, was really frustrating because that that's part of it too. And if we could just talk about that, mm-hmm. then maybe there would be a balance because mm-hmm. it can't just be all good. There's there's just no we're we're human. There's no mm-hmm. uh, there's nobody out there that's mm-hmm. perfect, and there's no family out there that's mm-hmm. perfect. Your parents are really good parents, but the fact that they can they can have the conversation about well you know yeah we really we did this we didn't do this and so forth and to be mm-hmm. and to see the connections because mm-hmm. i i you know i don't know if my dad could ever see the connections i don't think he ever really wanted to mm-hmm. see the connections when it came to talking about my addiction to porn with him he just did not want me to talk about it just mm-hmm. let's not talk about that because yeah. it's not the thing we talk about we only talk about the good stuff the respectable stuff, and and that's the frustrating for, thing for me that it, it's so so it wasn't real, you know, it wasn't the whole picture. It was only part of it, and that was mm-hmm. that was it was that was hard for me to really. Yeah. And one of the things that's been interesting for Jim and I, we're in our sixties, and we spend a lot of time with couples that are they're in their twenties and their thirties, and we go over the top to model vulnerability. And we do that because we feel like they need to see it from people our age, but we also notice that they are hungry for it. They don't know what to do with it, but they are hungry to understand what does it mean to live a truthful life at the level that we try to model it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's embarrassing to share some of what you've gone through in the last week or two or how you've experienced life this week. Mm -hmm. But... um, we see the value, and so we try to we try to do that. The other thing too, I think that um, that comes from family of origin is the emotional and um, the the emotional and the verbal abuse. Uh, mm-hmm. Words words are so important, uh, particularly to a young young child, a young boy, young girl, from either mom or dad, and mm-hmm. and just this flippant word or this word that comes out. In anger, or or just in criticism or judgment, um, you I think parents, we parents, underestimate how damaging that that can be, and how much verbal and emotional abuse can be carried on. And and then I I think that primarily it's not necessarily the the sexual abuse uh, that I suffered as a ten year old as as much as the emotional and verbal abuse yeah. that I suffered mm-hmm. is 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 what really drove me into finding a place that I could connect with those feelings of, gosh, you know, joy and uh, the, the, the kinds of things that I was looking for to connect yeah. with those in my heart. So, 
I can remember uh, words being powerful. So again, my, my parents are good parents, yeah. but um, growing up, thinking of the narratives that we tell our young boys and young girls. So like, for instance, if you make just a slight comment to your daughter saying, hey, maybe we should get you into like track or something because, you know, you're looking a little like just even like a small comment like that. Let's get you healthier uh, more to a man. Like I was a big crier as a kid. And so when yeah. my older brother or my dad, especially my older brother, not necessarily my dad, he would see me doing that. He was like a role model for me. And he said, hey, toughen up. Stop being a little wimp. And so if I'm hearing that from ages 8 to 12, then the connection is I got to 16, I got benched from the basketball team, and so I'm outside, and it's this dramatic moment where I'm, like, trying to shoot, and it's just not going in, and, like, my dad didn't come out to rebound for me, and that was really painful because he always got off for my brother. And so I have all this pain swelling up inside of me, and I'm, like, throwing the ball off the backboard trying to stop the tears, and the only voice in my head is toughen up, toughen up, toughen up. But what that did in me then is then it turned on this anger mode where all I felt was anger. Yeah. I didn't feel any negative emotion because the narrative from 8 to 12 was toughen up. And so when this big cataclysmic moment happened when I was 16, yeah. my gut instinct was to toughen up. And then you carry that into your 20s. Yeah. And now it's like I can't relate sadness. I can't relate grief. I can't relate you know disappointment and failure. All I have is success or nothing. Like I feel nothing. Like it's either success or just numb. So either I do something really good and that's awesome and I get praise, but if I fail, I numb it out. And the one way you do that, which we talked about, is porn. Um, and if it's not porn, then it's my girlfriend. Um, or it's, you know, just fantasizing my mind and masturbation. Um, so maybe this isn't necessarily in our notes, um, but how do we talk to parents? Okay, so let's say parents are now 30 and they're just now raising their kids. Or say they're 50 and their kids are now adults. Yeah. How would you guys like give counsel to parents and like how do we have these conversations with our kids? Because the reality is, is like you can't not hurt your kids. <laughs> like you're gonna give them some words and some statements yeah. that you don't even remember, but that kid's gonna remember until he's 20 or at least subconsciously internalize. So the scenario, so that that phrase that you heard, just toughen up. Mm -hmm. Then the the identity, I'm not tough enough, mm -hmm. right? There's mm -hmm. that false identity, if you will. So if you asked your dad, what is the phrase that you heard growing up? Mm -hmm. And then what is the identity that his, you... His phrase was toughen up. Oh, so, so he has, yeah, yeah. since talking about this, he has yeah. this memory. Um, and I hope this isn't too much to share, so I'm sorry, yeah. Dad. Yeah. Um, but he has this memory. He was 10. Yeah. Um, and he was doing this karate competition. Yeah. And he didn't want to do it. Um, or he was losing or something, so he started crying. Wow. And his father was yelling at him, toughen up, boy, like... Yeah get yeah. your crap together like and he was so disappointed yeah in his son because his son was a crying kid and the dad was taking an ego hit because his boy was out there crying while the other boys are out there doing good karate or something yeah. so exact <laughs> exact same narrative and you know the narrative i heard was you're not good enough yeah and so in my false identity is then well, i must not be good enough i'm not mm -hmm. i'm not i'm not enough and and i think as i begin to study and read more about narcissism I think that's really what that is, is overcompensation, you mm -hmm. know? And so I think maybe my dad heard that as well, that you're not good enough, you're, you're not gonna, whatever. And so he tried as much as he could to the point where he became narcissistic mm -hmm. uh, out to prove that he was good enough. And so how do you, the, I think the question was, how do you, what do you, what do, you do as a parent 
Yeah. Um, say you're say maybe even your adult kid comes to you. Which yeah. <laughs> your adult kid comes to you and wants to talk about family of origin. Yeah. Um, how much do you take their word for it? Like in terms of just accepting, oh, wow, we messed up in this way. And how much do you, I mean, maybe not in the moment you would never push back, but when you go back and recoil to just you and your spouse hanging out, how much do you internalize? Is like, okay, how do we change this? Or this was just, yeah. we can't change this. It's just how our son, you know, experiences. So what, how do parents go about this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I just want to throw out a movie, Lars and the Real Girl. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Lars and the Real Girl is about a, a man that had a, a blow-up doll. And the statement in that... A relationship with a... Yes, a relationship with this blow-up doll in the Midwest. It was non-sexual for the most part. Non-sexual. The film depicted it as. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the the counselor in that movie says, when Lars no longer needs the blow-up doll, the blow-up doll will go away. Hmm. And I think that's important to us as we talk about how to parent our children, that we have to understand what they are... what their perspective of your family is important. You don't dismiss it. You don't try to tell them what the truth is. You just let it be. Or what your truth is. Mm -hmm. Yes. Your child's truth is different than what your truth is. And you can't expect them to be, they're just not the same. Absolutely. And we have experienced that with our own children, our adult children. But back to your original question about what how to parent your children today mm-hmm. you've got to understand your own story you have to do your own work so you can be a gentle and kind and compassionate parent <clears throat> that accepts your children as they are mm-hmm. and sometimes we have children that are going to say they're gay mm-hmm. and or a lesbian or transgender we have that more now than we've ever had before and how we parent that child is going to be very important yeah. So it, it's it's clearly, really clearly force or just telling them to not feel that. So yeah. like for instance, yes. telling me to toughen up, telling you you're not good enough, yeah. that's devastating. But that wasn't even more essential to us as our as sexuality as a whole. Yes. So that's why I mean suicide rates are so high. We can yes. blame it on mental illness, or whatever you want to blame it on. But right. the reality is, is parents who are loving towards LGBTQ kids, yes. the suicide rates drop dramatically yeah. compared Absolutely. to those who are not accepting um, of that, which yes. I think, bro, that's a perfect, perfect example. And as a spiritual director, I've, I have a lot of clients that have done it really well and they have not judged their child. They've tried to love them and listen and, and be open to what they're experiencing. And it doesn't mean that you put aside your own values, but you do need to be a safe place. And I think that's the word that comes to me as a parent today um, I wouldn't want to go back and raise children as I see our grandchildren coming into this world and how their parents are going to parent them I have a lot more with social media to have to deal with every day and um, but I do think that safety and that comfort has to be there in the, the family of origin and it can't be there without you understanding your own story. You've well, got to do the work. Uh, I don't think safety can be there without you not only understanding your own story, but willing to, to articulate it and be open with it and share it with whoever your kids. If mm-hmm. I'm 50 years old and they're coming back to me and they want, they have questions about what was what was my family like and mm-hmm. where, what were, what was the message that I heard. If I can't articulate, if I don't know that, and if I can't, if I'm not willing to articulate it, then 
it's it's not safe to be vulnerable, mm-hmm. right? I mean, if I can't figure out how to be vulnerable, then then mm-hmm. I'm just we're just we live in this la la land that yeah, you know, oh we're fine, everything's good, you know, and don't talk about that, you know, yeah, because it's not worth it. Expectations to me, I think, are a big thing because what you guys are both talking about here. Let's say with the the gay or lesbian child issue. I think the reason parents normally react so strongly is not because of their theological values. I think it's because of their cultural expectations in terms of I was expecting I'm going to have a kid so that he can get married to a woman and then have his own Mm -hmm. kids. But now as soon as they are, you know, gay or lesbian, that is gone. They're not getting married to the opposite gender and Mm -hmm. they may not have kids, which they can't adopt. So that even Mm -hmm. that even that. But since the expectations are so broken, it's really related to Jim's story of your dad wanted you to be a football athlete, but you were more of an artist. Yeah. It's the same kind of thing, but on a larger scale. He can he can take the hit of you wanting to be a drummer or, or something like that, but to take the hit of like projecting forward. He knows football's yeah. going to end at high school, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but this gay or lesbian, you know, quote unquote issue is going to stay with them for the rest mm-hmm, of their lives. Right. So I think it's, it's really more expectations yeah. than it is our theological values, because we have theological values against so many other things that ever kid does that. We're just like, ah, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I love you anyway. Yes. But it's when the expectations get involved. Um, yeah. So what does that look yeah. like? I mean, we've talked about scripts and narratives that you get passed on, but how big does expectations play into how mm-hmm. you're kind of passing that on to your kids? Oh, it's huge. It's and, and it's understanding the motive behind an expectation, uh, because when something is is deprived in your own childhood, you may want that even more so for your own children. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and you overcompensate. Like so, both Jim and I were sexually molested as children, and my overcompensation was highly protecting my children so that they, none of them experience being touched inappropriately or having any kind of sexual um, behavior done to them. And that was good. But I didn't feel safe to talk about it with them, to talk about their bodies mm-hmm. and their experiences. And we know that boys mostly have wet dreams. Boys have experiences as being a male and junior high and high school, those those things have to be talked about. And <laughs> yeah. what parent, lots of parents don't have the freedom to have those conversations. And same with women. What does it mean to become a woman and experience having a body that all of a sudden boys are interested in? And mm-hmm. again, we don't do a very good job of talking about that. And that, that needs to, to change. I do think, though, you have to also be invited in mm-hmm. your your kids, I think. Um, I mean, we didn't have the where the we were not aware. We were in denial. We didn't have the ability to articulate that and have that conversation with our kids um, until later in life and after they had left. Um, mm-hmm. So, but then the other question is, do they want to talk about it? They might not with us. They might mm-hmm. not want to. So I think there's a that whole safety thing. You know, what mm-hmm. where are they? in their mm-hmm. journey with it and how much how much have how much do they want to talk about it how much healing have they gone through themselves and yeah or what are their experiences like and i, I don't know if they want to have yeah. that conversation with us especially the older they get i think yeah. you really have to be invited and the younger they are it's kind of like yeah. i mean 
I think even before puberty, you experience unconscious arousal. <laughs> so to just ignore, like, for your, especially your young boys, like, they have this unconscious arousal and yeah. their body changes in mm-hmm. their pants. Yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. for you to not address it other than just their little pee-pee, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. I think you're, yeah. you might be, that. what's happening is you're not creating that comfort. Yeah. Um, and so when they get older, they're not going to invite you in. No. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's kind of connected because you, yeah. you didn't put in the work at the start. So now once they're older and really yeah. needing to talk about it, yeah. you don't have the invitation in because you didn't put that groundwork in. We hope that Roe and Jim's words today gave you a hope for your sexuality, a hope for your porn addiction, a hope for so much that you may be going through beyond what you could have ever imagined. We hope that this episode just started your journey in discovering your family of origin and how that relates to how you are interacting with people now. As always, we want to acknowledge that this episode may have triggered you. It may have brought up old sexual abuse. It may have brought up old negative sexual behaviors. It may have even stirred up old wounds. With all of these things, talk to someone you trust about it. Don't hold these things just to yourself. Bring people into your life and your sexuality. And again, if you could leave us a review or share this episode with someone you think it might impact, this all greatly helps us do what we are trying to do on this podcast, which is bring hope to those who are struggling with their sexuality, who are struggling with their sexual lives, who are struggling with even the idea of what it means to be sexual. And as always, may the God of hope fill you all with joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.